Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Jeremiah 51. We've been going through the book of Jeremiah, so we're almost towards the end here. And last week we talked about um, in Jeremiah 50 and 51, basically it's two chapters, but it's one prophecy concerning Babylon. And uh, it was given prior to uh, Judah actually being taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Uh, God had given this word to Jeremiah. Jeremiah had, uh, well, we'll talk about it later, had, had told uh, Sariah to write it down and, and take it to Babylon um, when he went there on, an, on a uh, kind of like an ambassador type of trip. Uh, we won't get into those details. Uh, but this is the second half of that prophecy. And so beginning with verse 1 of Jeremiah 51, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up against Babylon, against those who dwell in Leb Kamai, a destroying wind. That word Leb Kamai is actually a Hebrew encryption, which basically means it's a code word in Hebrew that means basically, literally, it means the heart of my enemy. But it may also be translated the midst of those who rise up against me. Like the center place, the headquarters, or the center of those who rise up against me. And to understand what is being spoken about, uh, we have to kind of look at Babylon uh, in history. Did you know that Babylon, the city Babylon, is mentioned 280 times in the Bible? There is no other city mentioned more except Jerusalem than Babylon. And so it's a significance in the Bible. And to understand the significance of Babylon, we really need to go back to the very beginning to take a look at that. And in Genesis chapter 10, we have what's known or it's referred to as the table of the nations. It's kind of a genealogy after, after Noah and, and what happened with the different families and where they went. And, and, and as you start reading those, you start to find out uh, names that kind of sound familiar about people groups. Well, in Genesis chapter 10, verse 8, it says, Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. That Hebrew can also be translated, a mighty hunter against the Lord. What does that mean? What is that referring to? What did Nimrod hunt? Well, Nimrod hunted men. Not in some like weird sci-fi type of sense. What Nimrod was, he's a picture and he's a type of the Antichrist. He drew men away from the Lord. Genesis 11.1 1 says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And then in verse 4 it says, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. Let's make a name for ourselves. We want to be independent from God. That's basically what's being described there. In Genesis 11, verse 5, it says, But the Lord came down to see the city, which was Babel. Where's Babylon? You know, the roots of Babylon. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they are, all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. 
In other words, nothing that they do, I mean, they're just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse, and they're going to progress or regress, I guess, sinfully. And so the Lord said, come, let us, little hint there for you Bible students, it's a hint about the Trinity, come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad and uh, abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So Nimrod, who founded Babel, who founded Babylon as a type or a picture of the Antichrist. Um, Babylon was a literal city that was literally prophesied against. But when we read about the prophecies of the destruction of Babylon and you look at history, you go, wait a minute, some of it doesn't seem to match the prophecies. Does that mean that God's lying or anything? No. There's future prophecy to be fulfilled because if you get to the end, see, we were talking about the beginning of the book of Genesis. If you go to the end of the book, the end of the Bible in Revelation, Babylon appears again. And there's the final destruction of Babylon that's prophesied in the book of Revelation. So Genesis chronicles the history of Babylon's beginnings and Revelation chronicles Babylon's final end. Now, some say that the prophecies regarding Babylon in Revelation are just allegory. It's just symbolic. There's nothing more than just symbolism there. Others, however, believe in the literal fulfillment, meaning that there's going to be a literal city of Babylon once more that will be the center of uh, religion and government and commerce under the rule of the Antichrist. And then it's going to be literally destroyed. If that's the case, you know, I'm not sure myself personally, but I wouldn't be surprised um, I happen to look at a lot of prophecy and take it in a fulfilling, in, in a literal sense, because if you look at so much of past prophecy, they were literally fulfilled, and so you know God has a track record of literally fulfilling what He says, and so um, I personally would not be too surprised at that. But however, I also do believe that uh, that there is very much symbolism in there. Um, I believe that the world philosophies and false world religions all have their source in Babylon, in ancient Babylon. And so in Revelation chapter 17, it uh, talks about the destruction of religious Babylon. And in chapter 18 of Revelation, talks about the destruction of commercial Babylon. I was doing a little bit of research on Babylon, and I, I have a few different books. And one of the books is by a guy by the name of Tim LaHaye. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before, but he has this book that's called Are We Living in the End Times? And in there he talks about Babylon, and he says, Long before the word for it had been coined, socialism had been a Babylonian philosophy for the conduct of government, commerce, and religion, a form of organized living independent of God. And so you see the whole roots, the whole, the whole purpose for Babylon in the beginning, ancient Babylon, was to try to be independent from God. We're going to make our name for ourselves. And so Nimrod, a picture of the coming Antichrist, gathered all these people, one language, one nation. We're all going to do this together. Does that sound kind of similar to a lot of talk about global, you know, let's, let's all become one happy village, you know, and... And uh, we need one monetary system. I mean, you see, God's word is true, folks. 
And we're getting closer and closer to the time of that. So, let's, with that in mind, let's look at this philo- or philosophy. Let's look at this prophecy. Verse 2. And I will send winnowers to Babylon, who shall winnow her and empty her land. For in the day of doom they shall be against her all around. Against her let the archer bend his bow, and let himself... Uh, and lift himself up against her in his armor. Do not spare her young men. Utterly destroy all her army. Thus the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans, and those thrust through in her streets. For Israel is not forsaken, nor Judah, by his God, the Lord of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel." Now, I'm reading out of the New King James Version Bible. There's another popular translation in another Bible that that verse says, For Israel and Judah have not been forsaken by their God, the Lord of hosts, but the land of the Chaldeans is full of guilt against the Holy One of Israel. And, you know, you'd read that and go, well, that's, that's true. God was judging the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, because of their sin. However, the New King James, which is the one we're reading, or I'm reading from this morning, and quite a few of the translations seem to refer to God's mercy despite the fact that the land of Judah and Israel were filled with sin. Because, you know, that's the whole reason why they were in Babylon to begin with. They had disobeyed God. They had turned their backs on God. They had started adopting the idolatry of the nations around them. And so as a result of that, they were brought into captivity. God was chastising His people. And so, you know, God was basically telling them, I haven't forsaken you. You know, it's interesting. God chastises us. I've been chastised. You probably have too if you're a believer in Jesus and you've, you've, maybe you've strayed a little bit. God chastises us, but He does it in love, not to destroy us, not to wipe us out, but to bring us back into that right relationship with Him. God's always doing that. He's always interactive in our lives. So this here is a word of comfort and a word of grace and mercy towards Judah and Israel. And so in verse 6 it says, Flee from the midst of Babylon, and everyone save his life. Do not be cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He shall recompense her. And so this is a word of warning, a prophetic word of warning to the Jews in Babylon. You know, leave, leave you know, the midst of her because of this destruction that's coming. But if you look at what literally happened in history... The Jews were captives in Babylon. They weren't just free to leave as they wanted to at that point. They weren't released and freed to go back to Israel until the time of Cyrus, the Mede and the, Persia, or the Persian king Cyrus, when the Medes and the Persians took over Babylon. And so when you look at this, this seems to be, again, pointing to the complete fulfillment that will happen in the book of Revelation. In fact, this warning here is almost identical in warning to what you read in Revelation 18, verse 4, for God's people to come out of commercial Babylon in the last days. So verse 7 continues, Babylon was a golden cup in in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine, therefore the nations are deranged. Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her, 
You know, you get into the book of Revelation, the merchants, they're going to see Babylon destroyed in one hour, destroyed. They're, gonna, they're just going to weep and wail because it's amazing that that could happen in one hour. You know, and, and maybe 100, 200 years ago, you'd read this and go, that's kind of amazing. A city, you know, a whole city, a system being wiped out in an hour. Do you know, with a, everything is tied to electronics today, to the computers and it wouldn't take much for our entire grid, our entire computer infrastructure to be just totally wiped out. It's not beyond belief. Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Again, this is talking about the city of Babylon, the the empire of Babylon. There was no remedy for Babylon. She is beyond being healed. The only thing left for her is judgment. You know, sometimes I think we look at this world, and sometimes we can think, man, if we could just get the right politics in place, get the right politicians in there with the right policies, we can make this place up. We can fix the ills that are going on in our nation and in our culture. We just had the right political people in there. Or maybe if we just threw the right amount of money in the right places, or we just abolished the IRS, or you know whatever it is, whatever your bent is, if we could just do that, man, that would solve our problems. And you know what? I think God's word to this world is it's beyond remedy. We need Jesus. We need salvation. We need people to humbly repent of their sins and turn to the Lord. We don't need a pol- political system to save this world. It's beyond that. There's no, there's no balm for, this, for our uh, culture. The only remedy is Jesus, of course. Verse 9 continues, Forsake her, and let us go, everyone, to his own country. For her judgment reaches to heaven and is lifted up to the skies. So God in His wisdom, you know, He allowed the, 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 uh, the people of Judah and Israel to be uh, in captivity in Babylon for, for 70 years. But now, this is at the prophecy, of course, but now would be the time for them to go back into their own land. And again, that's repeated in Revelation 18, verse 5 as well. You know, I think about that. You know, it's time to get out of, uh, to forsake Babylon and everyone go to his own country. And you know, I look at, you know, Babylon really—it's—it's it's a picture of this world and the sim, the you know the system, the world system that is independent of God, and and it's like a warning for you and I. You know, it's time to to get out of that. Now, I'm not saying we're going to go off onto some hillside and wait for some UFO to come pick us up or anything like that, but you know, we are to live our lives like we're strangers and aliens because we are right. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this earth is not your home. Like it says in Hebrews 11, we're just strangers and pilgrims passing through. And so we need to treat the world like it's not our home. Because it isn't. And so we're to have a loose grip on those things that would tend to make us want to stay here. We're to have a loose grip on those things. We no longer belong to this world system. We belong to a heavenly kingdom. And we're waiting for our heavenly home. And that's what our focus should be, especially in these last days. Verse 10, the Lord has revealed our righteousness. Come and let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. And you know, you read that and you go, wait a minute. Those guys, they weren't righteous. They're in Babylon because of their own sin, because they had turned their hearts away from the Lord. And so, of course, it's not their righteousness. It's not based on anything they've done. It's based on God's faithfulness to His covenant and His righteousness. 
And it's the same with you and I. You know, I, I can't stand before God and say, God, look at me. I'm, I'm really a pretty good person. I go to church. You know, I, I recycle my garbage. You know, I, I do all these good things. I can't claim my own righteousness because I'm not. The best thing that I do, the Bible says, is like a filthy rag before God. It's only His righteousness. God looks, we even sing about it, about God, you know, parting us, pardoning us because He looks at the blood of Jesus Christ shed for my sins. He sees Christ's righteousness in me. It's not me. I'm still a sinner. But I've been forgiven of my sins and I've been cleansed. And God looks at me and I'm justified. You know that word justified? It just means just as if I hadn't done it. God looks at me and, and it's just as if I've never sinned because of Jesus Christ. It's not because of me. Verse 11. Make the arrows bright. Gather the shields. The Lord has raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes. For his plan is against Babylon to destroy it. Because it is the vengeance of the Lord. The vengeance for this temple. You know what's fascinating to me is at the time of this prophecy, the Medes as a people were an insignificant group of people as far as military and political might. They, I mean, they were on the scene, but they were, not, they were not a force to be reckoned with at the time of this prophecy. And so you think Jeremiah is writing this prophecy, and it's almost like, Jeremiah, you're really going out on a limb with this, you know, talking about this people group, that they're no threat to Babylon. But you see, God has a 100% accuracy rate when it comes to fulfilled prophecy, because this is God saying what's going to happen. You think about it. If any other nation had conquered Babylon... It would have proved that these were not that these were just Jeremiah's words and not God's, but everything happened just as God said it would. I think about in Joshua when they came into the promised land in the end of Joshua in chapter twenty-one, verse forty-five. They say this: not a word of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. Excuse me, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. You know, there's a lot of times when I go into a hard, a hard place or a hard time and maybe there's something that I'm confronted with that I've never been confronted with before. A, a difficulty is like, this is the biggest difficulty I've had to face. You know, I, 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 I'm fearful. And, you know, all I have to do, to, really what I have to do is just go back and go, you know what, God's been faithful to me in the past. Is there any reason why all of a sudden now he's going to be unfaithful to me? And that really, that encourages me in my faith. And I'll be honest with you, I have to remind myself that. Because, you know, sometimes something comes into your life and it's just so overwhelming, you tend to lose focus on the, I mean, that's your focus, whatever that problem is. But if God's brought you this far and he's been faithful, do you think he's going to just drop kick you at this point? No. We serve a faithful and a loving creator. You know, there was a time when the Jews thought that God's word had failed. There's a prophecy in Genesis chapter 49. And it's a prophecy um, that Abraham gave concerning his 12 sons that would be the 12 tribes of Israel. And Judah was one of his sons. And in Jeremiah 49, Abraham gave this prophecy. Did I say Abraham? It's Jacob, sorry. Jacob gave this prophecy um, over Judah, his son, in Jeremiah 49, it says, The scepter would not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. That seems kind of cryptic, but the rabbis understood this to mean that Israel's right to self-government would not cease until the Messiah came. 
And they clung to that. Messiah's coming, you know, we're going to be, we're going to have our own, we can govern ourselves, you know, and, and then the Messiah's going to come. Well, what happened? Well, Rome came, and Rome occupied Palestine. And Rome, uh, you know, they, at one point, they took away the Jews' right to perform capital punishment. And when that happened, the rabbis tore their clothes and wept because they thought God's word had failed because now they could no longer, because they felt that the right of capital punishment meant that they had the scepter, they had the rule, they had the authority, and now that had been taken away from them. And Shiloh had not come. Shiloh was what they, another term for the Messiah. And so they wept and tore their clothes, and they thought God's word had failed. But what they didn't realize was that Shiloh had come, and he was a young man growing up in Nazareth. You look at the date of the time when, the, when Rome took away uh, Israel's right to, to perform capital punishment. Jesus had already been born and was growing up in Nazareth. God's word hadn't failed. You know, sometimes we look at these prophecies, like even these prophecies here, and we go, well, wait a minute, some of this hasn't been fulfilled yet. Just hang on. Just hold on. Because God has not done yet. There's still more to be, to be completed. The story isn't finished yet. Verse 12. Set up the standard on the walls of Babylon. Make the guard strong. Set up the watchmen. Prepare the ambushes. For the Lord has both devised and done what He spoke against the inhabitants of Babylon. O you who dwell by many waters, abundant in treasures, your end has come, the measure of your covetousness. The Lord of hosts has sworn by himself, Surely I will fill you with men as with locusts, and they shall lift up a shout against you. He has made the earth by his power, he has established the world by his wisdom, and stretched out the heaven by his understanding. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightnings for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. Everyone is dull-hearted without knowledge. Every metalsmith is put to shame by the carved image. For his molded image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. They are futile, a work of errors. In the time of their punishment, they shall perish." This is speaking about the idolatry of the Babylonians. Those things that the people worshipped, that the people put their trust in other than the Lord, they're just the, <clears throat> excuse me, they're just the work of man's hands. And they would one day perish and be unable to save these people. And then in verse 19, the contrast. The portion of Jacob is not like them. For he is the maker of all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. You know, sometimes we just need the right perspective. You and I serve the creator of the universe. You and I serve the God of everything. And, and, and you know, it just puts the right perspective when we remember those things. And then on the other side of that, you know, sometimes we can get so caught up in, you know, our financial security or our, our employment status or, or whatever it is. And we can put so much hope and so much, uh, you know, trust in that. Maybe it's a relationship, you know. But if it's, if it's taken you away from your relationship with God, it's an idol. Don't put your trust in it. 
Because one day that will perish. One day that will fail. But God never fails. Verse 20. You are my battle axe and weapons of war. For with you I will break the nation in pieces. With you I will destroy kingdoms. There's a little bit of debate here. Are we talking about Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians, who was going to, you know, who was prophesied was going to come and destroy Babylon or take over Babylon? Or was it Nebuchadnezzar? And I think this prophecy is speaking about Nebuchadnezzar because back in chapter 50, verse 23, God calls Nebuchadnezzar the hammer of the whole earth. God had used Babylon to destroy, to conquer the nations that he was punishing and to chastise his people, the people of Judah, because of their sin. Well, it continues, verse 21. With you I will break in pieces the horse and its rider. With you I will break in pieces the chariot and its rider. With you I will also break in pieces man and woman. With you I will break in pieces old and young. With you I will break in pieces the young man and the maiden. With you also I will break in pieces the shepherd and his flock. With you I will break in pieces the farmer and his yoke of oxen. And with you I will break in pieces governors and rulers. And I will repay Babylon all the in, and all the inhabitants of Chaldea for all the evil they have done in Zion in your sight, says the Lord. Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain, who destroys all the earth, says the Lord. And I will stretch out my hand against you, roll you down from the rocks, and make you a burnt mountain. See, what's happening here, God was using Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, like I said, to punish the nations all around Judah. All those nations and their idolatry and their sin and and their wickedness, God was punishing them. But God also used Babylon to, uh, to uh, chastise his people. And, of course, they went into captivity. Babylon was a tool in the hand of the Lord. But Babylon's problem was they became prideful and they sinned against the Holy One of Israel. You know, I think about that. Sometimes God uses you and I to approach a brother or a sister. Maybe, maybe there's someone who's, you know, you, there's someone that you know you've got a relationship with. They're a believer, and they're, <clears throat> they're falling into some kind of a sin. And you see that, and you go, man, I, I, you know, I just feel like I need to go to that person and speak to them. And we're, we're told to do that, right? We're told in, in, in Matthew to go to them one-on-one and, and, and just talk to them. Instead of sharing with everybody, just talk with that person one-on-one. Hey, can I share what's on my heart? You know, but we're to do it in humility, and we're to do it in love, and not in judgment, and not in pride. That's why Paul writes in Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Because you see, this is what Babylon said. They, they were used by God, but then they became prideful. And so God was going to judge them as a result of that. Verse 26, They shall not take from you a stone for a corner, nor a stone for a foundation, but you shall be desolate forever, says the Lord. Now, I believe that this is a future prophecy because there are about five or six cities, Baghdad being one of them in Iraq, that all have used materials 
from ancient Babylon. They've got bricks and they've used them in their buildings. And so this prophecy is yet to be fulfilled when Babylon is finally destroyed, I believe, in uh, the last days during the Great Tribulation. Verse 27, Set up a banner in the land, blow the trumpet among the nations, prepare the nations against her, call the kingdoms together against her, Ararat, Mini, and Ashkenaz, appoint a general against her, cause the horses to come up like the bristling locusts, prepare against her the nations with the kings of the Medes, its governors and all its rulers, all the land of his dominion, and, all, and the land will tremble in sorrow. For every purpose of the Lord shall be performed against Babylon to make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitant. The mighty men of Babylon have ceased fighting. They have remained in their strongholds. Their might has failed. They became like women. They have burned her dwelling places. The bars of her gate are broken." One runner will run to meet another, and one messenger to meet another, to show the king of Babylon that his city is taken on all sides. The passages are blocked, the reeds they have burned with fire, and the men of war are terrified. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, The daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor when it is time to thresh her, yet a little while and the time of her harvest will come. And so this is just speaking about God's judgment against Babylon. And now the next verses here are what Judah and Israel will say at the end of their captivity. Again, this is prophesied years before. Verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has devoured me. He has crushed me. He has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me up like a monster. He has filled his stomach with my delicacies. He has spit me out. Let the violence done to me and my flesh be upon Babylon, the inhabitant of Zion will say, and my blood be upon the inhabitants of Chaldea, Jerusalem will say. Verse 36, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will plead your case and take vengeance for you. I will dry up her sea and make her springs dry. This is God speaking to Judah, to the you know, I'm going to plead your case. I'm going to take vengeance on your behalf. You know, God pleads your and my case too. You know, the Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You know, so often we want to fight our own battles and we want to, you know, we feel like we have to do things. No, just surrender it to the Lord and allow Him to fight it for you. Verse 37, Babylon shall become a heap, a dwelling place for jackals, an astonishment and a hissing without an inhabitant. They shall roar together like lions. They shall growl like lions' whelps. In their excitement, I will prepare their feasts. I will make them drunk that they may rejoice and sleep a perpetual sleep and not awake, says the Lord. I will bring them down like lambs to the slaughter, like rams with male goats. Oh, how Shishak is taken. Oh, how the praise of the whole earth is seized. How Babylon has become desolate among the nations. Shishak is another Hebrew encryption or code word for Babylon. He says, I'm going to make them drunk and they'll rejoice and sleep a perpetual sleep and not awake. The night that Babylon was conquered, that very night that Babylon was taken, Belshazzar, who was the king at that time, was holding a drunken feast with all his nobles 
in the city. When we get to Daniel's, the book of Daniel, we'll talk about that in greater detail. But it was on the very night of their destruction. They were partying and having a good time. Verse 42, the sea has come up, has come up over Babylon and she is covered with the multitude of its waves. And I think the sea here is referring to the multitude of people of the Medes and the Persians that were going to invade the land. Verse 43, Her cities are a desolation, a dry land and a wilderness, a land where no one dwells, though, the, uh, through which no son of man passes. Again, I think this is a future fulfillment. Because right now, the ancient city of Babylon, they know where it is. It's in, it's in Israel, or in, in Iraq, excuse me. And it's not too far from Baghdad. And people go there and visit it. It's kind of like a tourist attraction, so to speak. Saddam Hussein tried to build, rebuild Babylon when he was in power there. Um, and, of course, he failed. He didn't, you know, it's, it's no longer what, it, what he was trying to make it to be. So, but I think that this is, again, pointing to a future fulfillment. Verse 44. I will punish Bel in Babylon. Bel was one of the idols of, of Babylon. I will punish Bel in Babylon. I will bring out his mouth what he has swallowed. And the nations shall not stream to him any more. Yes, the wall of Babylon shall fall. My people go out of her midst, go out of the midst of her, and let everyone deliver himself from the fierce anger of the Lord, unless your <clears throat> excuse me, unless your heart faint and you fear for the rumor that will be heard in the land. A rumor will come one year, and after that, in another year, a rumor will come, and violence in the land, ruler against ruler. <clears throat> We're going to talk about this in just a, just a couple minutes. But do you notice something? You know when God repeats himself in the Bible, it usually means you really got to pay attention, because there's something serious going on here. Do you realize how many times God is telling his people, get out of Babylon, get out of the midst of her, go back to your own country? Again, we'll talk about that in a couple minutes. Therefore, verse 47, Therefore, behold, the days are coming that I will bring judgment on the carved images of Babylon. Her whole land shall be ashamed, and all her slain shall fall in her midst. Then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them shall sing joyously over Babylon. For the plunderers shall come to her from the north, says the Lord. As Babylon has caused the slain of Israel to fall, so at Babylon the slain of all the earth shall fall. You go to the book of Revelation, and at the destruction of Babylon, commercial and religious Babylon, all heaven is literally going to rejoice over the final destruction of Babylon. Verse 50, it says, You have escaped the sword. Get away. Do not stand still. Remember the Lord afar off and let Jerusalem come to your mind. This is what amazes me was when the Babylonians, they were conquered by the Medes and the Persians. And God had prophesied Cyrus uh, I, I want to say it's like 300 years before he was born by name that he would allow Israel to go back into the land. And uh, Cyrus did the very thing that was prophesied. And he made a decree to allow the, the Jews to go back in to rebuild the temple, the book of Nehemiah and the book of Ezra. That, you know, that's all about that, talking about that time period. Well, there were many Jews, and they had been in, Israel, or in, in, in Babylon for 70 years. And there were many Jews that decided to not go back to Israel. Because it's like, you know what? We've kind of grown accustomed to things here. 
we kind of like it here. I mean, you know, we've got our we've got our friends. We've got maybe they had jobs or whatever. We're kind of used to it here, and we really don't want to go back because those that went back to Israel went back to the land to start rebuilding the temple. They faced opposition. They faced hardship. It wasn't easy going back. And so a lot of them said, you know what? It's not worth the effort. I'd rather just stay here than face the hardship and the challenges. They were comfortable, and they didn't want to go back, and Jerusalem was not on their minds. And you know, I see the same thing with Christians today. I really do. Babylon, you know, the world system, you know, we've grown so accustomed to it. We, we've, we've kind of become part of it. And, you know, it's like we've got all our possessions. We've got all our friends. We've got, we've got everything. It's like, you know what? I'm really comfortable here. And we don't start yearning for our heavenly home, for New Jerusalem. And, and it's sad to see for some of us, New Jerusalem is the farthest thing from our mind because we're so comfortable in this life. And that warning over and over, get out from the midst of her because judgment is coming. And I think it's a warning that you and I need to heed. Verse 51, We are ashamed because we have heard reproach. Shame has covered our faces for strangers have come into the sanctuaries of the Lord's house. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring judgment on her carved images, and throughout all her land the wounded shall groan. Though Babylon were to mount up to heaven, and though she were to fortify the height of her strength, yet from me plunderers would come to her, says the Lord. The sound of a cry comes from Babylon and great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans because the Lord is plundering Babylon and silencing her voice. Though her waves roar like great waters and the noise of their voice is uttered because the plunderer comes against her, against Babylon, and her mighty men are taken. Every one of their bows is broken for the Lord is the God of recompense. He will surely repay. And I will make drunk her princes and wise men, her governors and her deputies and her mighty men, and they shall sleep a perpetual sleep and not awake, says the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, The broad walls of Babylon shall be utterly broken, and her high gates shall be burned with fire. The people will labor in vain, and the nations because of the fire, and they shall become weary." And if you go and you look in Daniel and you study about ancient Babylon, they had very, very wide walls. They, were, they thought that they were totally secure. On the night that the, the Medes and the Persians were surrounding the city of Babylon, they had the Euphrates River that ran through the, through the city, and they had these, these uh, iron gates that went down into the, into the waters of the Euphrates River. They felt totally secure. In fact, the Belshazzar knew that the armies were surrounding but he's like, we're safe. What do we got to worry about? And so they partied that night. They got drunk. And then, you know, the story about the handwriting on the wall. If you ever heard that phrase, that, that's literally happened. The finger of God wrote on the, on the wall there. And Belshazzar, uh, he loosed his loins. Well, we won't go into that. But anyways, um, <clears throat> he was freaked out by it, basically. And uh, that night, what happened was, the, the Medes and the Persians, they diverted the water of the Euphrates away from, from Babylon. And the water level started coming down at night. Nobody knew about it. It was just quietly going down and down and down. And it got to the point where it was just about the mid-thigh mid, mid high, basically. 
where the soldiers, they basically walked underneath these gates, walked right into Babylon. And in the morning, there they were, right inside the city. They didn't even have to kill anybody. They just came in there and conquered the city. And now here, the end of this chapter, we have some final instructions from Jeremiah to a guy named Sariah. And we talked about that last week. He was to take a copy of this prophecy to Babylon. Verse 59, The word which Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sariah the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, not Messiah, Messiah, whatever. Then he went in, uh, when he went with Zedekiah, the king of Judah, to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. And Sariah was the quartermaster. So Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that would come upon Babylon, all these words that are written against Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, When you arrive in Babylon and see it, and read all these words, then you shall say, O Lord, you have spoken against this place to cut it off, so that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast but it shall be desolate forever. Now it shall be when you have finished reading this book that you shall tie a stone to it and throw it out into the Euphrates. Then you shall say, Thus Babylon shall sink and not rise from the catastrophe that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. So during this King Zedekiah's reign in the fourth year of his reign, which would have been, you know, maybe probably 77 years or so before Babylon was conquered, Sariah was going kind of like an emissary to Babylon for whatever reason. And uh, so Jeremiah says, hey, take this book of prophecy about Jeremiah, bring it into uh, Babylon, read it there probably to the Jews, because there were some Jews, they, they, they went into captivity in waves, in about three different waves, and the first wave was already there. Read it to them in Hebrew, of course. Take it. Throw it in the river Euphrates as a symbol that Babylon was going to sink. And so Sariah did this. What's fascinating to me is when you get to the book of Revelation, in, the Re- in Revelation, God tells an angel to take a great stone. In fact, I'll read it to you. Verse uh, 18, verse 21, Then a mighty angel took up a, stro- a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you any more. And the sound of a millstone that shall not be heard in you any more. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you any more. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you any more. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and saints, and of all who were slain on this earth. You know, Babylon, like I said, it was a literal city. Nebuchadnezzar was a real king. And this stuff literally happened, historically happened, the destruction of Babylon by the Medes and the Persians. But I think that what we're reading here, it's not just the history lesson for us. But it's a word of warning to us because I believe we're living in the last days. And Babylon, basically, it's a world system that's independent from God. And you look at our world, and you know, I look at what's happening in our culture today. And you know, you've got certain people groups that, uh, you know, they're clamoring for their rights, and that line is getting harder, it's getting wider and wider, and it's getting to the point where we either have to stand on what we believe what the Bible teaches 
or we just have to go with the flow of the culture. And it's getting, that, that divide is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think the word to you and I is, we need to start setting our sights on New Jerusalem. We need to start setting our sights on heaven. And we need to start thinking about, you know, we got to be, we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. You know, we can't go and run off into a monastery and just wait for Christ's return. We're to be useful for the Lord. We're to be serving him. We're to be, you know, witnessing to our neighbors and our friends and our family. We're to be, we're to be working and busy for the kingdom. But we're to have that attitude that we're pilgrims and we're just passing through. And, and I think that's a word of warning to us through this whole prophecy against Babylon. Why don't you stand up and let's just spend a couple, a moment or two. You know, sometimes, you know, when I do a study like this, it's not just like, okay, well, this is really good. I wait till the people hear this, and, you know, and I, I read this and I study, and I go, wow, this is, oh, I got to bring this point. This will really nail so No, I'm not, I don't do that. When I study this, a lot of times I look at the scripture and I go, Lord, what about me? What about my life? You know, because I've got possessions, I've got a job, you know, and I've got things that I like and, you know, things that, that are comforts to me in, in, my, in my life. And I, and I have to go, Lord, am I putting too much emphasis on those things? Am I getting too comfortable in this life that I'm not really looking for your return? Well, you know, when things are miserable in your life, it's like, come Lord Jesus, <laughs> you know, the sooner you can come and take me home, I'm ready. You know, but when things are going pretty good, we get comfortable and we get complacent. And so for me as a pastor, I, you know, I, I read this and I have to examine my own heart and go, Lord, you know, what about me? How do I need to respond to this? But I also think each one of us has to do it. If you're a believer here this morning and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I think the Holy Spirit is speaking to each one of us today to take and examine our lives and to realize that this whole system, it's without remedy. There is no fix for it aside from Jesus Christ. And, and so judgment is coming, folks. And so we need to make a stand. We need to know what we believe and we need to stand firm in what we believe because his return is coming soon. And so with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and uh, let's just do some business with Jesus this morning. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you for just using the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. And Father, as he has been maybe speaking to each one of us individually about areas in our lives that, Lord, we just, maybe we're off a little bit and we need to get right with you. Lord, maybe there is a sin in our lives or a thing that we're just clinging to and we're not willing to let go. Father, I pray that we would realize that this world and all that is in this world will one day burn up. And that day is not too far off. And Father, that we would be heavenly minded. We'd be thinking about New Jerusalem. Lord God, that we would examine our lives and be ready to leave, Father. Be ready um, for your return. Father, I pray that you would find us faithful when you return. And so, Lord, I pray that we would all examine our own hearts in light of this scripture. And Father, maybe this morning, this morning we have to just repent of our sin and turn back to you, Father. And I thank you, Lord God, that your word says that if we confess our sin, that you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so this morning, Lord, we do confess our sin to you.
Father, I pray if there's anyone here that does not have a relationship with you this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit's been speaking to them. Lord, that they would come to that realization that just being, just going to church or just being a good person, just trying to stand on their own merits, that that isn't going to cut it in judgment day. That, Lord God, we need a Savior. And that, Father, you've provided that in Jesus Christ, that you've sent his Son, your Son, to die on the cross for our sins, to pay our penalty, and that you died a sinner's death, and yet you rose again on the third day, and you've ascended into heaven, and now, Father, you extend forgiveness to each one of us if we're willing to repent of our sins and to turn to you. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that hasn't done that, Lord, I pray that this morning they would pray to you that they would confess their sins, that they would admit they're a sinner, and that they would invite you into their hearts to be their Lord and Savior. And so now I'm going to pray. And if you are here this morning and you've never made a decision for Jesus Christ, I'm giving you an opportunity. The Holy Spirit's giving you an opportunity to turn to Him, to be born again this morning, to start a fresh, a fresh new walk, And so this morning, if you need to make that decision, if the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart, I'll just invite you quietly to pray the same prayer that I'm praying. And if you mean it, and you've prayed it from your heart, Jesus will forgive you of your sins, and he will come into your heart to be your Lord and your Savior. So let's pray. Father, I do come before you. Lord God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Father, I've been trying to be good in my own way, and I'm failing. Father, I need a Savior. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sin. And Lord, I confess my sin to you now. And I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart to be my Lord and my Savior.